Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I don't want to be the class clown, but what I noticed is that sometimes the entertaining stuff can really take off and get a lot of eyes on you when you do something crazy or something that makes people laugh out loud. What that means is that when you come along and actually deliver some real value that they can use in their day-to-day job, that's what makes them stick around. So I think of like the entertaining stuff is like the, the one, the jab, and then the knockout is the actual tactical, tangible stuff that's going to make someone better at their job. What is up, everybody? This is the first podcast that I've had two plus guests. Now I have four guests on the podcast. The whole, almost the whole lavender marketing. Is this the whole lavender marketing? Where is more people on lavender? Okay, the whole lavender marketing team on the podcast. I'm going to give, let everybody give a quick intro and then we're going to go into a fun topic today. Uh, Jen, we can start with you. Yeah, Jen Allen Knuth now, my new last name as of two weeks ago. I lead community and partnerships for Lavender, which also includes events. And this is actually my first time in a true marketing role. So I'm the newbie on the squad here. My official title is marketing at Lavender, which is uh, pretty generic. So my main thing here is right now the working title is Academy, but really the goal is is to create like the, I'll use the cliche term of building out a media company. So that's like what we're trying to to do here. Well, Chelsea. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, so I'm leading content. Also, like we don't have titles. So that's why when Todd is like, yeah, like marketing, uh, we don't really have titles. Kind of like one of the first signals that was just kind of being a little unorthodox and fun. Um, but I'm leading all aspects of written content. So articles, all written forms of content on our website, kind of like owning the website as like an editor as well. Um, blogs, long form, research, bad content, et cetera. And also kind of helping with our strategic narrative and brand, which all kind of ties together. Cool. And the last but not least, well, oh, well, I would say least. These are good people we've got here. Um, <laughs> my, my one word title is just social. So I do have things social media related, uh, create short form content, manage the accounts, that type of thing. Awesome. Today, I want to dive into a topic. The reason why I wanted to have the Lavender team on here is because they're doing something different in the market. They're making B2B marketing not boring. There's a lot of boring B2B out there. So I want to go into how each of you think about B2B marketing. How's your approach different to the standards that marketing has right now in the market? And then, um, yeah, and we can go deeper into each topic. Yeah, I mean, I might get the soapbox out for a second here, but I think a lot of B2B marketing content isn't it. And I think the place it often falls down is is resonating with the audience. I think the content is made to check a box instead of actually give value to people or be interesting or be entertaining or, or all three of those sometimes. And I think that's often because you, you, you've got marketing teams who don't really know their audiences. So a good thing about this team as well, especially in like how I feel about it is three, I believe, Chelsea, you haven't worked in sales, have you? But not not a slight to you, but 
three of the, the four Does the lemonade stand count? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it yeah. does, 100%. The three of us have worked in sales. We, we, we know the, the, what people care about. We've done the job. We understand what people are looking for, what's funny to them, what's going to be valuable to them. And I think a lot of marketing teams don't know their audience the same way and don't think about the same way they can deliver value to those folks. So I think that's where a lot of B2B marketing go wrong. There are tons of companies that do this well. A lot of us have worked at those companies. You know, I think about Refine Labs and Vidyard, Salesfeed, Chili Piper, more companies that aren't coming to mind right now. But I think those are the folks who are doing it really well, thinking about their audience first and, and really connecting with them. One thing that I think you said, which I, I love, and I think people, it's actually hard to find marketers who are actually have like expertise in the role that they've done before. So you all have sales audiences and having someone, three people on this call who have expertise in sales, it gives you a leg up because you actually could talk the talk that your customers are talking, talk and walk the walk. You actually come from, you've had the pain points they've had, which I think it's hard. I've done this. I've been, I've worked at Service Town where the audience was plumbing and electricity, electricians, and I've never been a plumber. I don't know what it's like to be a plumber. I mean, I've unclogged the toilet a couple of times, but <laughs> not do anything else. So it's like hard to put yourself in, in the shoes of someone else. But that's why I think you, you all are crushing it because you have, generally expertise in in this market so i want to go how chelsea's thinking about b2b differently as well yeah i think it's a good segue too and i haven't been a salesperson but my entire life has kind of been or i guess i shouldn't say life my entire career has really been rooted in my background in journalism where you kind of have to put yourself in an empathetic standpoint and put yourself in the person's shoes and you're writing about subjects that you may not be an expert in. So that's kind of a principle that I apply to everything in content marketing is what do I need to do to really understand this subject matter and become an expert in it in order to write about it in a way that is, yes, authoritative, but most importantly, helpful. Um, so I've applied that to my entire career and previously at Chili Piper, especially, you know, we were marketing to salespeople just like we are here at Lavender, but also marketers. So even though I was a marketer, marketing to marketers, um, that doesn't mean that you fully understand everything about every use case and every person. So outside of just co customer conversations and really kind of honing in on what the needs are, um, you really just have to remember that there's a human on the other end, right? So like marketing specifically is about helping people solve problems. So when I create content and I think about everything that we're doing, everything on the team here, like all of our activities feed into each other. Um, and we're all able to learn from each other, right? So like different subject matter uh, expertise, different backgrounds. I learned so much from Will and Jen from sales. And like Jen mentioned, like she's never been marketing. So like, it's just so fun to be so collaborative and learn from each other. And when we're creating content, that's truly helpful. And when I say content, it's not just written content. You know, I think it's just encompasses everything. We want to make sure that we're really honing in on what those problems are that marketing is solving for. I think a lot about, I think it was Amanda Natividad as Toro who commented on this recently and she spoke about how problems are inherently painful. So if you can address or understand or feel your customer's pains, like, do you care enough? Do you understand them well enough? Are you caring about the wrong thing? And what do you need to do to more deeply understand and put yourself in their shoes? So that's kind of how I approach the standpoint and all of the content I create. Yeah, it's funny because I think the two things that I always say is like the best content out there 
there's two ways it could be great is one you have someone who has expertise and done that and the second is have someone who's been a journalist who knows how to research knows how to interview people knows how to get the best details out i think people underestimate the journalist route i think journalists have a way of talking to people and getting questions out of people that other people inherently don't know how to do so i think that's great that you come from that background. I think that's the other plus of journalists and salespeople. I think you guys have a dream team, both on, on the team. Uh, Todd, I'm going to go. You're talking about creating a media company. I want to know, like, what does media company mean to you? I think because this has been a buzzword for a long, long time. I think probably the last like three years, people are saying we create a media company, but what does that actually mean to Lavender? I've seen a couple different takes on this. I've seen recently people say like, you know, when we when we talk about a media company, we don't literally mean a media company. I kind of take the opposite approach of that. Like when I say let's build a media company, I don't think about like, okay, what's a long form asset that we can repurpose a bunch of different times and then like call that a media company because we're putting out different formats of media. The way that I look at building a media company is what are the media companies that you know of? Like Netflix, Masterclass, you know, traditional media companies like like network TV and that sort of thing. So like the way we're thinking about it or the way I'm thinking about it is like through a series-based approach. So right now we're we're working with several people and external partners to create like original content series that we're going to use their distribution networks to to distribute through and then bring all of that stuff back and bring it together in lavender so like that's going to be where like you can get all of that media like we're going to have i can't call out our our partners quite yet cuz we haven't launched them but like there's going to be several different series and if you think of like a Netflix or a masterclass, you might have like a lavender exclusive series. And then you have one that's, you know, exclusively distributed through X partner, but like the full library lives in our little media asset. So like the way I look at it is how can we enable multiple people on our team to own their own little series of content and then how can we, from a brand perspective, partner with other companies to create co-assets that we can kind of bring together? I think I've said this on multiple podcasts, but the way I think about when people say media company, I think about it's a mindset of that the content is a product. And when you think of content as a product, you think about how can I make this best for my audience? How can I make it the most engaging, the most entertaining? And then on your side, with how you think about it too, is like, how am I creating original IP that I could distribute on multiple networks? So I think the way you think about it is great. I think nobody is really thinking about it. I think the only other company I know thinking about like that is probably like Audience Plus is the only one that I see right now in the B2B space. Obviously, there's I'm missing a lot of people, other people out there, but there's Audience Plus or refine labs or some other people but i want to go to jen quickly because jen not coming from marketing 
now a marketer. How has that helped you think about marketing differently? And how are you approaching marketing and community at Lavender? Yeah, I guess I had 18 years to judge marketing and now I'm in the spot and I have to actually follow through on all of my judgments that I made before. So one of the things I think this business does really well, and I say this business, not just this team, because I would argue one of the other things is it's not like, oh, it's marketing's job to do marketing. Everybody in this business, not that we're a huge company, but everybody recognizes that importance. So we're the steward of it, but we're not the only Lone Rangers out there doing it, which I think is really, really important, candidly, from the founders down. But one of the things I think we we know very well is what makes a human want to share something is something that makes them look funny or smart. And so if you look at our content through that lens, everything is in pursuit of that, right? Like we recognize we know our audience really, really well, largely because this business is sold to them, but we've also been in those roles. And we know if we're trying to target an SDR, writing some 50-page white paper with a bunch of buzzwords and lingo is not what our people want to see, right? Like you look at what Will does on social or Todd does in his videos or what Chelsea writes about, it's recognizing the end consumer of that information and knowing that humor captures that attention, that being able to share something helpful makes them look good, which helps them in their, in their pursuit of advancing their career. So I think everything is viewed through that lens. And as it relates to community, I think one of the things I was really appreciative of is I've never really built a community. Will and I did a, 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 the social social community, but that was my first involvement in a community. And there was not pressure just to go build one so that we can say, hey, look, we have a community. It was go out, spend time in communities, learn what people like, learn what people hate so that you can build something totally different and unique that isn't already being met by a community out there. So that's one thing I really appreciate is it wasn't a rush just to check a box so that we could have a community under our logo. I mean, community's also been a buzzword for a long time, but a lot of people, it's like we, we're talking about all marketing buzzwords and content, community, media company, but a lot of people mistake that a community is just creating a place where people in your audience can resonate with similar things and talk to each other. It doesn't have to be a Slack group. It doesn't have to be nicely put together content vaulted content that you have it's just a place where you can create a safe space for that your community to talk to each other and resonate with each other and i think that's what you you all are doing really well i want to go to go more like tactically into this because i'm interested in how you all are thinking about this i'll go to will first about you did a great job at sales feed thinking about social and building social how are you transitioning what you th thought about at Salesforce to Lapidur and what are some cool tactical things you're executing in the next like 60, 90 days? Yeah, Salesforce was like my first kind of dive into full-time content. And it's probably worth noting like the, the reason I got that job was because I was already a creator. And I think if we just look at that as a theme, by the way, like creators already know how to get the attention from audiences. And it's not the reason why the folks are on this team, but the fact that we all are creators as well as doing our job is probably a sign of what it takes to make a good marketing team these days. But yeah, being a creator got me that job. And then I kind of very quickly started to figure out what works. So being more tactical, things I'm trying to pull across from there. At Salespeed, I realized when we made more content, the content got better and there was more shots about for this content to take off. So a lot of folks on like LinkedIn or even TikTok or whatever the company pages, they're only posting once a day. We posted twice a day and saw a massive lift in audience. So 
I brought that to lavender and now I'm going three times a day. And sure, that does lead to some problems like uh, coming short of ideas, but it's not the end of the world if I only go twice, right? So the frequency, the formatting, changing that around, like um, the, the ideas that I'm thinking of in the next few, few weeks, I'm doing long form, I'm doing short form video. I'm not just doing video, I'm doing text as well. We're bringing in some like snippets from those long form videos. We're using some of Chelsea's blog articles to then reuse all of that content in different formats because the idea is that if you give someone the same thing over and over again, they get bored of it. So you can even do two things. You can switch up the the topic. We are kind of confined to email. We could talk about more sales stuff and we plan to. You can switch up the format, which is, you know, video, written, image, meme, whatever it may be, or the theme, which can be funny, entertaining, or aspirational. So when I talk about posting three times a day on LinkedIn, for example, I want to be switching up the topic and theme and format for all three of those so that they don't all, we're not just force giving people the same thing, essentially. It's not just rice cakes. It's it's also other meals, right? That's one tactical thing that I'm thinking of straight off the bat. And the, the thing that's going to happen in the next 69 days, we're going to probably see some really well-produced long-form content uh, that I'm super excited for. YouTube channel stuff that's going to be very reminiscent of some of the largest creators out there right now, but probably one of the first businesses that's taking a real stab at being the next big, bringing those styles into this space. One thing that I think you do really well that a lot of other companies don't do very well is incorporate video and YouTube and short form videos. So how do you think about being entertaining but also being educational at the same time. I just make sure that I'm doing both. I don't want to be the class clown. But what I noticed is that sometimes the entertaining stuff can really take off and get a lot of eyes on you when you do something crazy or something that makes people laugh out loud. What that means is that when you come along and actually deliver some real value that they can use in their day-to-day job, that's what makes them stick around. So I think of like the entertaining stuff is like the the one, the jab, and then the knockout is the actual tactical, tangible stuff that's going to make someone better at their job. And by doing those both those things, I think you give variety in the content, but also they, they feed into each other essentially. So the funny meme might get 500 likes and really that's quite superficial. But then if they get hit with a email tip that's actually going to help them book more meetings today, well then you've really delivered on, 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 on that. Um, and those two things to work together. So the way I think about mixing them is probably 50-50 just to make sure we don't over-index on either direction. I don't often compliment Will Aiken, but I'll give him one here. I think don't one of the dare. things that he's, <laughs> that he subtly does, and I think one of the things that Lavender in general does pretty well, is before we tell someone to do something differently, we make it okay to laugh at getting something wrong. Right? If you look at Lavender Joe as an icon of our company, we've all been Lavender Joe from time to time. And when you make it safer for someone to say, I've sent that same email that Lavender Joe said, they're going to feel more open to saying, okay, I'll try something new. We don't always have to be so serious. Sometimes it just brings the wall down a bit with content to be like, I've been that person. I've been the one who sent that terrible email. We've all done it. And I think there's a relatability in there that Will nails really, really nicely in his content. It's never being cruel, but it is poking fun at just things that we all know we mess up on. I think I'll go to you, Nick, Janice, asking. So you have all this great content being created from BDR and stuff, from Chelsea creating great content to Will creating good social content. How do you bring this all together and make sure like 
the community is fed. They're talking to each other. How are you thinking about bringing the sales community to Lavender? Actually, I would say we think more of bringing Lavender to the sales community. So I would say one of the things that I'm really proud that we do is we spend time figuring out where our prospects go to learn, right? Where do they hang out? Who do they learn from? And then we look to see what's already happening happening there and where we can add to the conversation. And this is probably like, like I said, I, I didn't spend too much time in communities before taking this job, which was one of the reasons I was like, why am I getting this job? I have no experience here. But as a result of the last couple of months spending time in different groups and organizations, it's very clear there's a lot of great things happening. And so as I think about community, I don't always think, okay, how do we rip that and pull that into ours? And then how do we mirror that? I think about there's a wealth of, of places where our prospects are going to learn and gather right now. How do we show up to that and add value? So whether it's like for job seekers, making it very clear that our tool is available for free for them, whether it is looking at groups of people that are getting together and talking about challenges and then adding to the conversation and saying, here's stuff that we've learned just in the interest of being helpful. I think our bet is that when you just genuinely try to help and add, I mean, it's add value is like the lamest term ever. But when you gen are genuine about just trying to add value versus saying like, download our, you know, Chrome installation, people will naturally get curious and say, who are you? What are you, what are you about? What do you represent? What do you work for? And so I, I think one of the things I'm super proud of is that this whole team abides by that and does good, adds helpful content in communities that exist today. I also love the, that you said that how could you bring Lavender to the salespeople? I think that's the correct way to think about it. And I also think being on the ground and being on the community helps everything else around here, everything that you're, you're all doing. So you getting... Knowing what tools salespeople need will help everything, everybody here, you know, being on the ground, figure out the problems because we know it's hard. It's hard for everybody here to always be in the weeds trying to figure out what what's the current sales problem, what's the current problem in the market. So it's good to have someone who's there on a day-to-day basis being in the weeds, making sure sales, the salespeople as a whole are getting fed with the right type of things from Lavender. I'll go to Chelsea on this. Um, how are you thinking about content differently? I know you you crushed it at Chili Piper, and I saw Chili Piper for for years. I've been following Chili Piper's content for years. I'm a big fan, but you're also crushing it at Lavender right now. How are you thinking about content differently than you thought about at Chili Piper? And also, what are some things you're excited about doing in the next months to years at Lavender? I think there's a lot of similarities between Chili Piper and Lavender in that they're both trying to make B2B not boring, try things differently, whether that's being spicy or bold or just not boring. With Lavender, you know, Jen kind of alluded to this with Will's content and Lavender Joe, the red thread through everything that we create, and especially when I think about the content that I'm creating, is just focusing on the shared humanity of everything. Like when we go to work, whether we're a salesperson or a marketer, we bring all of our whole selves to the table and we often forget, especially in sales, it can be hard to forget, easy to forget that there's a human on the other end of every email or if you're a marketer at the other end of every article or ad. So when I think about what we're creating and um, everything in my lane, that's like top of mind. So really just ensuring that everything that we create is serving the audience and that's kind of being helpful, but also just when you remember that there's a human on the other end, 
that enables you to just ensure that you're helping them and serving them and creating content that's not fluffy, that's going to be tactical. And that's one of the reasons why I think Lavender is so powerful. And one of the reasons why I joined the team is this mentality that the whole company abides by of just giving and not expecting anything in return. So we don't get content. That was something I did at Chili Piper. And I think that's not necessarily a hot take in this space anymore, but it's still contentious to a degree because a lot of companies are still aligned to MQLs and interpreting MQLs differently and they're just form fills. So that is like a hard line of conviction, I would say, that we have at Lavender of not getting content, not creating any barriers whatsoever whenever possible so that everyone can access content in whatever way they they prefer. So when you also think about what I'm, I guess, what I'm excited to create what we're doing as I guess as a marketing team is almost offering up like a silver platter or like a buffet. I have like all these food metaphors in my head of like how we're thinking about the content we're creating. We're offering up our audience in order to best serve them a silver platter of content, whether that's short form video, long form video, short form blog post, long form blog post, social clips, like our goal and our vision. Uh, this will soon be on our website and kind of shared everywhere is this idea of just making it easy as possible for anyone to find what they need, find content that's helpful that can help them in their day-to-day and make a difference and isn't fluffy. And it's in a way that they prefer to consume it. You know, as humans, we all prefer to consume things differently. Some people hate audio clips. Some people hate, you know, short-form video or looms. So that's the goal. And probably what I'm most excited about is just creating content in a myriad of formats to make it easy for people to get whatever help they want. It's crazy that a lot of companies don't think about this way. It's all about the audience. And if you think about the audience, then you're not thinking about MQLs. You're not thinking about all the end goals of things. You're thinking, is this useful? Is this helpful? How could I make this easier for people to consume? But also, it kind of fits in the ethos of your product. Like your product makes like sales lives easier. So your content and everything can make sales lives easier. The way you consume it should be an easy way to consume. So it's cool to kind of match the product to what you all are doing in marketing. I'm going to go to Todd because I know Todd is the king of funny videos on TikTok or LinkedIn, but also think of things creatively that I, I haven't seen anywhere else. I know I've been tagged in a couple of his videos and been a face in some of them, which has been fun. How did you think about doing the series? I know you can't really give too much details, but how did you think about doing the series? How do you think about what content should be in there and how did you brainstorm it creatively? Like, how did you come together and whiteboard this topic? Just using quote terms of how you actually did it, but how did you come up with an idea? So first, I just want to say ha to Will because he said, <laughs> I was the funny guy. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. marketing. You make marketing content, mate. Of course, he's going to think it's just funnier than mine. mine mine's just ragging on marketers, if anything, half the time. <laughs> to answer your question about the about the series and that sort of thing, it kind of happened unintentionally. So, December of last year is kind of when I started like creating TikTok content, and in February, after I had done a couple that got some traction on LinkedIn, uh, I put out my my calendar to like anyone who wanted to chat about TikTok, creative video, entertainment, anything like that. And I had like several hundred people take me up on that. And like one of the recurring themes 
in all of those calls was like, people would ask me like, do you have an example of X, whatever, whatever I just like maybe threw out as, as some sort of advice. They asked me like, do you have an example of that? And I found myself not being able to tell them the per or the creator's name, but I could tell them like, oh, it's the person that does these like crazy green screen, like zoom call videos where he pretends to be in the office, but really he's like on the side of a, a ski slope or something. And like this kept happening where like I could recall series, but I couldn't recall a person. So like that's when it kind of clicked that like, okay, like if I can become known for like something, like for example, like one of the ones I leaned hard into was worst marketer in the world. Like if someone can say like, oh, he's the guy that does those worst marketer in the world videos, like after telling people that so much you eventually learn the person's name. So like, for example, with the green screen videos, like after I told like 30 people, the guy who does those green screen videos, like I can now say Frankie LaPena is that guy. That's how like the series concept for me, at least came, came to be. It was just through like realizing that I couldn't recall people's names, but I could recall what I knew them for. People either will recall you for something that's consistent that you're doing so like that person is doing the green screen. Actually, I saw a funny video on Chubby's TikTok this week of like this guy on the golf course and he has like a green screen behind him and he's like taking a Zoom call. Like that's Frankie. That's Frankie. Yeah. yeah, he's now <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I saw that and what are you saying that I I just saw a funny guy do that. That's cool because I think my friend JT Barnett, who's like big on TikTok. Um, he always gives advice to the people that you should have series. So people, one, know the face of the brand, and then two, people who go back and watch things and consume content. Because if you do two bunch of random things, people don't know why they're there. They can't go consume previous videos. So I think that's a great way to, great way to think about it and also be known for one thing. One thing I also learned that too, like I quickly, and I, I mean, Will probably did this too, but I know that like memes became like associated with marketing millennials and screenshots. So I just kept doing that and I didn't want to change that. And now I'm like, marketing millennials is known for memes. It wasn't intentionally supposed to be memes, it just became this thing that synonymous about the brand. What question I want to go into that I ask everybody in this podcast, so I'm going to ask every one of you in question, but is, what is a marketing hill you would die on? I mean, I'm just going to go back to the gated content thing because I'm in several intimate groups of content marketers across different companies, and they're all in different companies in tech. And every single one of them still gates content, and every single one of them still has a hard time explaining to leadership why gating content is archaic. So I will always stay on that hill. Um, I think there are hills that I maybe a year ago said I would die on. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I've actually like learned and evolved and grown and I don't feel that way anymore. And I think that's that's healthy. That's good. Um, but this is one that I have a really strong conviction on and is a hill I will always, I will absolutely die on that gating content. You're just not, you're doing a disservice to everyone in your audience. I understand to a certain extent. I think some industries and ICPs 
are okay with gated content. You know, for example, uh, early childhood tech companies that are catering to educators, they're they're fine giving their email for content. But in general, if I want a piece of content, I just want to like consume it and be helped and enjoy whatever it is that you spent time creating and writing. And when you create that barrier, it just kind of, A, you're asking someone to jump through a hoop, so you're more likely to lose them. But more importantly, when you don't, when you're not gating it and you're just making it frictionless to access whatever is helpful, you're building trust and loyalty. And then that'll always like have an element of reciprocity. So that is my hill. But I always say that if you're going to get content, your content better be like 100 eggs better than what's behind it. Otherwise, nobody's going to read it. Like the only way I would ever like think about getting content is like if I had like a community and there's a bunch of other content behind there and I'm like, hey, to get this content, you have to be in this community. Like that's the only way I would get content. Otherwise, there's no other way I would think about it. And there's other benefits when you do that too, right? There's other benefits that come along. Yeah, well, I'll go to you. What's the marketing hill you would die? Brands can have a voice. It's not even a hill, you know, but it's like, I think people just need to take more risks, honestly. I think that's probably the, the, the hill I'll die on. Tell your legal team to F off, which most companies can't, but we don't have a lawyer, so <laughs> suckers. Um, and just, just lean all the way in, like go harder and be willing to take those risks because they'll pay off and if they do, and, and otherwise you just become this wave of mediocrity and I don't know, I just feel like every great story, someone took a big risk along the way. You never hear these things where they played it safe. And marketers are meant to be creative and I, I still call myself a salesperson today because I don't lose my, my sales following. But if you're not being creative, if you're not thinking outside the box, if you're not doing something that no one's ever done before, then, then you're not, or at least in your space, done before then um you're probably playing it too safe and no one will ever remember your name yeah well i think of you as a salesperson who knows how to do marketing well vice versa i think a lot of there's a lot of examples of people who have gone either direction and often top performers either way because they understand the whole journey of a customer right which is where a lot of people fall short yeah um plus one on risk it's more risky to be risk averse yeah so that's a good way i like that yeah Jen, I'll go to you. What's the hill you die out? Don't make all of your marketing geared at the decision maker. Don't do it. Right? We, I think it's so, so tempting to just be like, oh, let's talk. Let's message to them. Um, I think today I spent a lot of time talking about how consensus buying is just the norm now for most organizations. And if you're only messaging to the top, you're missing a huge opportunity to connect with people at the middle and the bottom who ultimately will have a say in the decision to buy or not buy from you. I love Todd's content on this. Um, love Todd's content on this because I think far too often you see the like the content, the message is always geared to the person who carries the budget. Imagine if you have people that are really passionately advocating for you upwards to that person, it makes a difference. Um, so that would be my hill. Yeah, and it's also like a lot of people geared to like the decision maker versus like the person who actually is going to the content in the day-to-day and use the product and the day-to-day races which just just blows my mind because first of all the decision maker doesn't really is doesn't really care most of the time it's like of all they just signing a piece of paper that says yes is it gonna make your job better yeah okay let's 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 do it and that's like the decision maker is the person using the product yeah, that's a different story but um but i love that i think 
I also think you need to go beyond this little group of people that you think. That's why even like recommendation to like paid advertising is like, don't just be like target CFOs, like target everybody in that, that company that you're trying to cut, like go after. Uh, so plus one on that. Todd, I'm going to go to, to you. You're killing me, Jen. You're killing me. <laughs> I told you that. Just say it better than I did. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add on that because that's that's kind of the direction I was going to. Um, I think the the hill is that your content needs to have like a defined purpose. Um, this is this is something I came to in the in the same like experimentation I did with with those meetings. Was the the first question I would always ask people was like because these meetings were about like getting on TikTok. My first question was like, okay, why do you want to create video on TikTok? Or why do you want to create entertaining video? And the purpose they always gave me was, uh, I want to increase brand awareness or I want to create more inbound you know, demo requests. And it's like, those, those two things aren't a purpose. Like you can't, you can't say like, Okay, I want more brand awareness. This is this is like a a thing to do that. Like that's a that's a um side effect of having a good purpose. So like the way that I look at it is going back to what Jen said, like any content should have one of three purposes. So like one is it's going to be like trying to change the strategic mindset of somebody. So like that's like your top-down strategic narrative type of content, trying to think about, change the way you think about things, step down from that, call it, I call it middle out implementation. That's like the how-to content. So like if I am successful in changing the way you think about this thing and you accept that and push it down into your company, like the people that have to execute on it, they can't get that from like the strategy conversation. So like now we come one step below and it's like, how do we implement that stuff? And then the final one, which is like everybody ignores, which is like, I think why Lavender to this point has been so successful is that evangelism piece. So like evangelizing the end users of your product that, you know, they, they're not necessarily making the decision, but like what I say, the, the goal of like evangelism content, which like Will Aiken's really good at Lavender Joe. Like that's the type of like entertaining content that I'm talking about. What it does is like it, it makes the people that use your product love it that much more. And it makes the people that don't use your product want to use it. Whether they're decision maker or not, they're still wanting to use it and they can sell it internally. So like from a purpose, long story short, whatever you're creating you need to define the purpose for that piece of content before you go down the path of creating it. Yeah, I think I think I like that you're separating because I think there's end result of what you want out of your content and there's like the purpose that you create in your content and those are two separate things. Like if you ask someone the purpose and they said brand awareness, that's not the purpose. Like that's a goal you're trying to achieve with your content. Like the like my purpose of creating content is to like give a break in the feed for marketers, but then like my go- each content has a different goal. Meaning, like ones for like to get attention, the other ones to get in have intention so people come to 
my longer form content intention content because it's more tactical how to like you said and the other the other part is like i think a lot of people leave out the the end user which why you create content for them is like that's why i'm creating content for like the marketers that are coming into marketing that are like don't know marketing a lot of people who are bb say like that's easy content but like when you were starting a marketing was that easy content for you like did you understand that because i didn't understand that like what media company was or what content was or what social media was i just knew the concepts like broadly what they were so this is this is great well this has been great i just want to give one minute so you all could plug plug yourselves where people could find you where people can find Lavender Tom, is that the name? Lavender Tom? Lavender Joe. And Joe. Lavender Joe. Lavender Joe. We're all going to say the same thing. We can try and get it all in three, two, one and shout Lavender if you want. We're a small team. Just go to go to Lavender's LinkedIn and follow everybody on the team. You won't be disappointed. Yes. That's a, yeah. that's a Look top for the purple hearts. Points. Yeah, go follow Will, Chelsea, Jen, and Todd. This has been great. Thank you for being on the podcast. Um, and, um, I'm glad we have four funny people on this podcast and, uh, <laughs> who isn't, who isn't the funny one? Uh, I, yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> I'm the right one. The funny one. All of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think the long funny one's not well, um, well, well, scrap about marketing. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Cool. Well, thank you so much, everybody, and I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thanks, you. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.